0: The Barclay Marathons is a 100 mile ultra marathon. It's five marathons, is what's called the Barclay Marathons. It's 160 kilometres. It's run without a break. It's uh, run in a place called Frozen Head State Park, Tennessee. I think that's cold, that place. <laughs> Frozen Head Park. The people get a couple of hours sleep. I think the best time is 100 hours. In 30 years, only 18 times has the race been finished. It's not for the faint of heart. When God said to the people, through Moses, ready, set, go, in essence, he was calling them to a challenge that was overwhelming. Overwhelming to go on his mission to take hold of the promised land. It was 40 years late after the wilderness wanderings and the disobedience of their parents, but it was a long, steady, challenging race they were being given to take hold of, an ultramarathon of life. Well, as Israel were called to represent God, we, those who put faith in Christ, we are called for a life ultramarathon, aren't we? To represent him. That's our mission. Jesus, God in human flesh, came to live a perfect life. He had a mission. He called disciples very quickly and invited them on his mission. It's a shared mission that post-Pentecost, we are empowered to take part in. Amen? We are on a shared mission, the mission of Jesus, to take the gospel to all the world, to take the fame of the renown of Father God, and the goodness of his story, of what he's done for the world in Christ. Deuteronomy 6 gives us unchanging truth to carry with us on this race. It was unchanging truth for the people to inherit the land and to enjoy a long and happy life. That's what a blessed life means, to be more than happy. I would put it to you that we're actually called to live a happy life as well. A blessed life. And in Christ, long life. Now, does that mean it will be free of suffering? No way. Will it be free of trouble? No way. Could it be short? Maybe. But we're called to find out how to access the peace of God in our hearts through the gospel. Amen. We're called to live in such a way that people will see how we live and wonder what's the secret? So I want to put it to you today that mission is a lot to do with finding out how we're meant to live on this earth. And it is a magnetic life lived to the glory of God following his commands when we get it right by grace. Have you ever really looked forward to something in life? Maybe it's a wonder of the world that you were going to go and visit. Anybody? Anybody? And Or it might be a... Um, a musical you went to. You wanted to hear this great solo or it's a museum in the world and you were going to look at that piece. And you got there and it didn't disappoint. Is that the case for you? Deuteronomy 6 is a wonder of the world. It's an incredible privilege for me to preach from it and for us to come under it. It contains the Shema. And it's meant to be pronounced not Shema but Shema, like a New Yorker, if I can say, saying, what you doing, you, you know, <clears throat> It's like Shema. Shema is the holiest prayer of Israel. And we've heard it read out for us. We're going to come to it in a minute. So let's come to this passage with as much reverence as we always have for the Word of God, certainly no less for Deuteronomy 6. Lord, as we open up this glorious passage, we pray that you would be Lift it up, Lord Jesus, Lord God, you would take all the glory as you deserved from your people long ago and as you deserve from your people today in the 21st century. We want to be in awe. We want to feel the weight, the wonder of this passage of Scripture. So we pray for help in Jesus' name. Amen. The second generation are gathered there east of the Jordan, in the Transjordan, in what is known as modern-day Jordan, at the base of Mount Nebo, and they are awaiting to finally get the go-ahead, to cross the Jordan River and enter the Promised Land. Like the entrance of the Barclay, they are filled with apprehension. Moses speaks as part of his long second sermon. Let me read from verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach to you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life." Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. The first driver to mission is knowing how to live a long and happy life with God, which is ultimately attractive to the world as they watch on. I would say that this is a secondary driver to mission. We'll come to the first one, but I hope that's a long enough point for you anyway. The first driver to mission is knowing how to live a long and happy life with God. Moses says there are commands that you need to teach and observe so that you may enjoy life in the land. There are commands you need to Learn them so that they can be taught and then observed. Moses is suggesting that there's a way to the good life. There's a way to the good life. In the New Testament, we know it as zoe, the life that is whole and full and fruitful and filled with peace and the goodness of God, zoe. Moses says, you second generation people know this. There is a way to live that will lead to life. And there is a way to live through disobedience that your parents explored that will lead to death and judgment. Learn the commands. Learn what God expects of you as his people so that you can teach them, so that you can observe them. Following the Lord as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, One is never allowed to say, do what I say, not what I do. Would you agree? It's a saying that's in our world, but it's not for Christians. It's certainly not for Christian teachers, for leaders, for parents. Do as I say, not as what I do. We've mentioned recently that the truth is what you bump into when you're wrong. The truth is what you bump into when you're wrong. The Bible teaches clearly in Deuteronomy, and of course Jesus backs it up when he summarises this by saying, what God requires of you is to love him with everything and love your neighbour as yourself. There is truth that we bump into when we are wrong, and that truth is that God has a way to live that is good and upright. A way to live that is the best way because he is our creator. I think Deuteronomy 6 teaches reality is conditional. Now, as Christians, we know there is such a thing as a free lunch, right? Grace is a free lunch. It's a, it's a gift of righteousness. It's crazy. The Christian story is that we are forgiven by what Christ has done, nothing else. It's a gift. Yet, all the way through the Bible, certainly in Deuteronomy 6, we understand that there is this truth about life if this, then that. Is that fair to say? It's conditional. If this, then that. If you disobey God's commands, the creator of the universe, his clear definition and description of how to live best, if you say, I'm going to do my own thing and forget that, that will not go well for you. It's conditional. The good life is conditional on living God's ways. We're living in a time that's probably called post-post-modern. The modern world was Roughly speaking, the Age of Enlightenment through till, basically, the fall of the Berlin Wall. And then postmodernism came after that. And we're probably, 30 years later, that happened, Berlin Wall fell the the end of the 80s. We're probably more post-postmodern. Let me explain to you, uh, I think, the best way to understand postmodernism. There are three baseball umpires. You have to get your head around baseball for a minute. but three baseball umpires. Now, in baseball, you have a batter and a pitcher, and the, 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 bat, the pitcher has got to throw it in a certain section that's a good space to be hit. Do you know this stuff? <clears throat> if I have a swing and I miss and it's in the worthy spot, it's called a strike, and the umpire is the one who declares it's a strike. If the ball is too hard to hit, it's called a ball. And I believe it's four, is that right, Rage? Four balls, and then you walk. So the three umpires, and they're very powerful people in a game of baseball because they're de- defining what is what. The three umpires, one of them says, There are balls, <clears throat> there are balls and there are strikes, and I call them the way they are. Objective truth. No one else could d- d- argue they are either a ball or a strike, and I call them the way they are in the modern world. And then the next b- baseball umpire says, There are balls and there's strikes, and I call them the way I see them. He's acknowledging there's a subjectivity to the call. And then the the postmodern representative, the third umpire, says, There's balls and there's strikes, and they ain't nothing till I call them. Does that make sense? Reality is nothing. It's a human being throwing a ball out in the park to another guy. It means nothing until I decide. I decide. What truth is. That umpire says, I decide whether that exists in the universe as a ball or a strike. And Deuteronomy wants to say to us, and anyone who believes that, that's false. You don't get to decide what's true. And neither do I. Truth is what we bump into when we're wrong. Deuteronomy speaks to a post -post postmodern world as it did to an ancient world. And it says to Israel, to history, to us, and says there is a way to live based on the commands of God. And it will have an outcome in your fulfilment of life. How your life pans out will depend significantly on whether we obey the commands that we teach and understand from God. Because Moses says to them, because it's so, so important, isn't it? They're about to go into the land. The parents have made enormous mistakes and suffered greatly. So Moses is like, please, guys, there's a way to live that will lead to life. Please listen. So that, verse 2, and we won't take so long on every verse, but so that your children and their children will enjoy a long life. To enjoy a long life is to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be content. Verse 3, obey so that what? It may go well with you. Are you getting the sense of conditionality? Obey so that... It may go well. You can have a land flowing with milk and honey, lots of cows, lots of crops with bees, milk and honey, it's going to be amazing. If this, then that. As we go about this shared mission of following Jesus, of living the way that God says we should live, we need to remember people are watching us. That's the point of Deuteronomy and how it speaks to that generation and ours today. If we say we follow Jesus, it matters how we live. Amen? Because if you have kids, your kids are watching. They're actually watching with both eyes and both ears going, just interested, mum and dad, you go on about this stuff, Christianity, and just wondering if it's plausible, if it works. Just want to see if it's a beautiful bunch of truths that you put on the shelf in a prized position in our house, but you don't live them out. Not just kids are watching on. Our workmates, our siblings, our parents, friends, spouse, neighbours, they're all watching to see if our faith, living out the digested commands of God, the way to live the good life as defined by the New Testament, they're watching to see if it works. So is it fair to say that one of the great drivers for mission for us to be effective in the mission of taking the good news to the world is that we live it out. We live it out. That takes understanding the commands, teaching them to one another, and observing. There is a way to the good life. The second driver to mission, and the primary driver for mission, is it's about the glory of God. It's not just that we have a good life, and this is what the Shema teaches for a Jew, recited every day. It starts by telling these people to remember Yahweh is not one God in the pantheon. He's not Zeus, if you're wondering. He's not Jupiter. He's not one of many. He is the august, all by himself, three in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who created the universe with a breath and a mindful thought. He is not a polytheism one of them one of the gods in in, in the polytheism uh, thought he's he's one god and he is worthy of worship and even more than that love passionate love he is worthy and desires our unbridled love from where our heart which means the core of everything. And it includes our mind, in fact. He wants us and his people to love him at the core and centre of every person's affection, with their will. And he wants his people and he wants us to love him with our soul, which sounds very nebulous, but if you look up soul, it's the word nephesh. And it actually means life force. Not a new agey life force, but the animals have nephesh, Genesis says. We are to love him with the breath that we have, which comes from him. The the very energy of life that goes when we die, but when we're alive, it's because God has given us the gift of life. And with that life, we are to give it all back in love and glory and worship. And of course, that includes strength, my physical and emotional potential, all the capacity of my life he wants Now can you see, it's not hard to see why he was disappointed with the people. He wants a lot. He wants everything. And you know, this type of living is profoundly missional, isn't it? Because if you get it, if you're a human being and you get that it's not about my glory, it's about one who's worthy of glory, who is transcendent, who is higher than the highest human. Has anyone ever been to a... A big concert, and there's one star of the show. Anyone been to one? We went to a show like this recently, and this, you can't blame them. That's their brand. That's their brand. So the dark, the whole auditorium goes dark, and the bass is blowing your eardrums, <clears throat> saying, it's coming, it's coming. It's like, what's coming? 60 seconds of eardrum-damaging noise. And then the lights start flashing, and it reminds me of a Hillsong song conference, but at a Hillsong conference with 20,000 people, you know what I'm expecting as a good Christian? The only thing I want to see when it goes, flash of light, noise, ba-ba-ba, I want to see the name of Jesus, no other name, but I see the name of human being, and I'm profoundly disappointed, and I'm just struck as a Christian, I'm like, nah, it doesn't do it for for me, mate, I know you're selling records, I'm not taking that away from you, but I refuse to bow down and worship you, because it feels like that's what these guys are doing. Oh, in fact, I went to a U2 concert and it was quite amazing, <laughs> they were doing hip-hop to Jay-Z, but it was just like, wow, this is worship, and Bono says that, it feels like they're worshipping you, but he's He's a Christian. It's not worth giving the best of your life to worship something not worthy of it. Amen? When we are so truth-centric as people that we live our lives for the glory of the only one and indisputably worthy of the glory, the one who holds the universe together by his breath, by his word, that's very magnetic, wouldn't you agree? Because it's so true. Because we have eternity in our hearts that is drawing us to the truth. And when people all over the world in every culture see a human being who is filled with the glory of God, by the Spirit of God, giving worship to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's missional. It's magnetic. It's a light that draws people in. And as much as holy war is so hard to understand, the people of Israel were called to establish a house of prayer for who? All nations. The heart of God's for the world. Through an elect group. And who who did that group need to give all the glory to? The one God, Yahweh. And that's what this is all about. Learning how to live and giving all the glory to God. Don't you think, if you stop and just look at this, isn't it sort of confronting how important the idea of teaching these truths to the next generation is? Like, Do you get it that this is top shelf? Deuteronomy 6 is like, for a Jew, and for us, Jesus synthesized it and quoted it when, the, when the, the, the tricky teacher of the law said, How would you summarize what we're meant to do with our lives? He said, Well, I'd take Deuteronomy 6 and I'd wrap it up and call it, Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, we get that, but what comes next? Teach it to your children. Teach it to your children. Teach it till your kids say, Amen, Dad. <coughs> so I've taught my kids to say, Amen, Dad. <laughs> and we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I, and I don't want it to sound judgmental. It's, it's a genuine conversation. We live in a day and age where there is a powerful pushback against what Deuteronomy says we should do. Entrust trust the truth of the gospel, the goodness of God, his commands to the next generation. We homeschooled our kids for 10 years because of that. No judgment on anyone who doesn't. But we felt, Leanne and I, and she carried the lion's share of it, we had four kids, they were doing well in school, and we were like, we're going to disciple them. Now, all I'm saying is you've got to let the weight of it hang on you as a couple or as an individual if you're raising kids by yourself or you're a grandparent doing it or whoever it is. It's like, how do I impress on my kids the ways of the master? Now, that's the sort of extreme thing to go. We're not even going to trust the school to train our kids. I'm not down on schools either. Leanne's a primary school teacher. But can I encourage you to think are you taking it seriously enough? Because COVID has got us into bad habits. We live in an age where we we treat our extracurricular development of our kids, you know, we take it really seriously. So they do things on Sundays. Look at Deuteronomy 6 and just make sure that you can look the Lord in the eyes and go, I took seriously your command. I didn't take it lightly. I took it seriously We did everything we could whilst being balanced and nuanced with the needs of our kids and their passions and what they're doing on Sundays. But we juggled it with this sense of a conviction that we've got to teach our kids how to follow you. It's right there. Drivers for mission are the glory of God and the way to a long and happy life. And then the rest of, very quickly, the rest of these verses up to verse 25 I think is a a bunch of tips for the happy life. So let me very quickly say, tip number one that Moses gives the people is, if you're going to do this, stay humble and grateful. You're going to go into a a land flourishing um, with cities and you didn't build them. Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you didn't provide yourself. Wells you didn't dig. Vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant. And then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It's a decent tip, isn't it? You know when you go into the land and God goes before you and defeats the the people in there? Graciously gives you, not because you deserve it, graciously gives you access to the land that you might represent him, give him all the glory and live the way he said you could live. But don't think you did it by your own hands. Stay humble and stay grateful. I've heard many extremely wealthy people say that they refuse to give their kids much because they realise if they did, they'd spoil them because they wouldn't learn to be grateful. They wouldn't learn the resilience and humility that is learned over a period of time. No doubt in the world, staying humble and grateful is what this is all about. You know when we say long and happy life, Post-resurrection, post-Pentecost, that's talking about eternity, isn't it? That's the long and happy life in the land. The land is the new creation. The promised land is after we die, we are resurrected, and those who have faith in Christ get the promised land. It's the earth. Heaven with earth joined up. So Deuteronomy is looking forward to, through Christ, the promised land where we can live perfectly without the power of contrary choice. Tip number two is stay loyal. Verse 13, Moses says, Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Don't follow the other gods, the gods of the people around you. Basically, God's going to be jealous. He's after loyalty. Have you found that loyalty grounds you? Um, I know some of you are West Ham United fans, loyal, passionate fans. So anybody a, a passionate rugby league fan and you have a team that you're loyal to? Yeah, we've got some. I'm not loyal to any rugby league team. And I don't care. I don't care because it doesn't matter to me. But I'm, I'm also, yeah, so good if it matters to you. Um, but when, so we lived in the Sutherland Shire for 20 years and Cronulla wins the comp after whatever, 50, 60 years. And it's a national celebration in the Shire. They take over. It's it's, just—it's—it's like just a celebration. And part of me felt like driving down there and getting amongst it, but I know I'd be a fake because I'm not a loyal fan. I'm just suggesting to you that there's something wonderfully grounding about being loyal, amen? It's like I'm in. I'm not perfect, but I'm in, Lord. I'm about you. Because I know you're looking for a woman or a man after your own heart when your eyes go across the earth. I want to be one of them. If I can be loyal to a footy club, I want to be more loyal. And I think when we come to May Mission Month, it's remiss of us not to think of the tens of thousands of loyal martyrs who, in the sake of uh, mission, lost their lives from their loyalty. One of the early martyrs was Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, famously martyred near Izmir in Turkey in about 160 AD. And they were trying to get him to renounce faith in Christ in the second century. And he has this great line that's famous amongst the the lines of the martyrs, of the loyal martyrs. He says, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The history of missions is built on loyalty. Amen. The blood of the martyrs. We're called to be loyal, we're called to stay obedient. Stay obedient. Be sure, verse uh, 17, to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well for you. You've heard us talk about it many times before. I don't know where the quote comes from, but rapid obedience is the mark of maturity at Northern Life. It's not wrinkles. It's not grey hair. It's not... How many years you've lived? How many years you've come to church? Rapid obedience is the mark of maturity. God said it, that settled it, I'm going to do it. Moses says to the people, stay obedient. Tip number four, verse 20, stay story ready. Stay story ready. I love this line, verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, What is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him the big story. We were slaves in Egypt and Yahweh came and carried us on eagles' wings and he taught us how to live. He gave us a land of no one like our God's son. There's no one like our God, my daughter. That's a great line, isn't it? Can I challenge you that when your son or your daughter comes to you and says, Why do you follow Jesus? The answer is not, Ask your mother, son. (laughs) She's the spiritual one. I don't know how many times I've heard that. It's not good enough. Ask your father, son. You know, I'm not into that stuff. God, through Moses, is saying, Stay story ready. 2 Peter 3:15 Always be story ready to give an account for the faith that you have because someone is going to watch you and see the plausibility of your life and its faith lived out and go I want some of this action Look, what is it stay story ready ready to share the gospel point all the glory to God And the last tip is an odd tip stay righteous And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as He has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. It's so odd. In this incredibly conditional bunch of teachings, it reminds me of—I'm always love my Indiana Jones um, motifs, but I hear the Lord of the Rings when that line is said. Anyone know Lord of the Rings? And when the ring turns up with Frodo, it goes da da da. And you're like, what's going on? Da 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 da. Someone's gonna have to sacrifice something for this to happen. That's the motif. Glorious truth. So good to know how to live. And it's like God through Moses is saying, da, 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 da. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Because sin will get judged. But we haven't talked about it, but in Leviticus part of the law is the shedding of the blood because the nefesh, the life is in the blood and when we sin, the soul that sins leads to death. It's conditional. So to cover the sin of the people, God in his grace said, Cut the throat of these animals and let the lifeblood flow out. And as the lifeblood flows out to death, that death will cover what sin is doing to your blood without knowing it. It's bringing death. So temporarily, the sacrificial system was given. And we read about it in Leviticus. It wasn't enough. And so that takes us to Romans 3, doesn't it? Romans 3, 19 through to 26. And I won't read it all out. But Romans tells us that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Hebrews says, There is a sacrifice that will be given that will be once and for all the righteousness of God revealed. Live the perfect life and it will be your righteousness. The glorious, grace-filled truth is we don't do that. Amen? We don't do it. None of us could live it, but someone lived it in our place. Christ lived everything Deuteronomy 6 asked for. And in the divine exchange, we put our faith in him and we get seen by God as though we did it all. Hallelujah. We get the complete righteousness of Deuteronomy 6 and every other command in the Bible. That will be your righteousness. Well, we won't earn it, but we don't want to forget who gave it to us. It's Christ's righteousness this morning. Faith in his finished work allows God to look at us and truly go, well done, my good and faithful servant. I see you as my son. You did everything I asked. Come close. That's the gift of grace. We're on a mission from God to tell the world that Christ has made a way for everyone by faith to live a long, eternally long, and happy life. And this is for the glory of God alone. How good is it that this race we're doing, it's not the Barclay Marathons, it's far harder, but we don't have to race it ourselves, we're carried. We're carried by the Lord. So stay humble and grateful, stay loyal, stay obedient, stay story ready. Stay righteous in Christ and the favour of the Lord will be upon you. Nearly got to the end. And your children and their children. Amen.